Yeah. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. Before we take a deep dive into some fascinating characters from history, particularly those that enjoy murdering people, I have a bone to pick. And it is with fat bitches. Man, you know what? I'm tired of you! I'm tired of this shit! Now, before I come off like a straight-up asshole, let me throw out a caveat. If you are a beautiful, full-bodied Lizzo, I like to put myself together and I like my thick curves and my thick thighs and this is just how I am. But I'm I'm situated with it. Like I clearly have washed all of my parts in the shower. And there's some that I, I don't miss because they're stuck to my skin. Those are not the women I am referring to when I say fat bitches. I mean those bitches. The one that's always in the handicap style. Stinking like fucking bologna, fish, tuna, and eggs had a baby and it was your name like those bitches the type that's on the fucking stroller just walking around in a scooter all day but keep getting heavier and heavier the ones that just don't give a fuck the ones i gotta go on walmart and absolutely throw on a mask because even if it wasn't covid because that's how bad you smell I'm tired of these fat bitches that I have to deal with and see. It's disgusting. I shouldn't have to see it because it's not like you did not choose that lifestyle because you did. There are some people, yeah, that have a thyroid condition or whatever the fuck that can't get them to the situation where they need to be. But let's be real. These ho-ho bitches over here, Right? They're, there's nothing wrong with them. They just like to fucking eat and won't put down the fucking fork. Whatever reasons are going on, they put it into their body. And now we all have to deal and work around your fucking issues. Like, I can't walk down this aisle without shuffling two foot at a time. And now there's a fucking line behind you. And now we got to go to fuck around because you're still there trying to make decisions because you can't, you know, you need 10 minutes just to make it a third through. I know, be harsh, be harsh purposely. But I think the highlight of what brought this rant on is this infuriating story I watched of a woman in Applebee's on a scooter, 400 pounds. And I am, when I say fat bitches too, that's my, that's my, my weighing scale. When you hit three to 400 pounds, there's no excuse. There's none. I'm not giving you one. All you need to do is stop shoveling in the shit and start putting in the kale. All right. You're not going to sit here and talk to me like I'm not a fucking adult with all these excuses. I think Bill Burr did a whole special about it. Like you should shame these motherfuckers. Like shame is what helps you get to where you need to be. 
You know, if, if, if you're not shamed, how do you know that you smell bad or your teeth are yellow or, you know, you, you go outside in public <laughs> the way you are because you don't want to be shamed. And sometimes you go out in your pajamas fully expecting to be shamed and not giving a fuck. These are the decisions that you are allowed to make. But shame from the other party is not on them. That's 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 on you. Okay, I accept that. Okay, in my in my wheelhouse. But you guys need to accept that y'all are a fucking negative factor <laughs> for all involved that have to take public transportation with you. Back to the story. She's in Applebee's runs up this huge tab eating her ass off then runs out on her tab saying i don't have enough money to pay my bill runs off in her scooter the police have to be called oh check this out she said she didn't have enough money so someone at the restaurant as a good samaritan a customer gave her the extra 20 to cover her bill she pocketed the shit and still scooted her ass out the door you ain't gonna do shit the police officer finds her at the bus stop asks her okay are you the lady that was in applebee's and she's like no and because he doesn't have a clear like a clear description of who the person was that skipped out on their tab she gets on the bus and then he has to take the extra time to get confirmation that no that fat bitch is exactly the fat bitch that walked out on her tab not walked out i'm sorry scootered out on her tab got on the bus to pay a dollar (laughs) fifty with more money in her pocket than she than she had when she went to the restaurant then when they have to pull over the bus this is what i'm pissed off about so now everybody else that was trying to just get to work that day gotta be pulled over the bus driver was freaked out (laughs) she acted like she was a damn brother (laughs) she's like everything okay officer i'm getting the fuck off the bus everybody else got off the bus And here's this fat bitch not saying one word and refusing to move, refusing to say anything. He's like, all you got to do is come back and pay. It's not a big deal. Now you're adding resisting arrest because now at this point you're doubling down. You're like, my fat ass been caught. If it's for a fucking stupid, selfish, fat ass reason. And now... I'm going to get sit and pretend I'm the victim as my fat ass gets dragged. I mean, come on. You didn't strain the officer's back and shit having to drag you off the fucking bus. And why your scooter in one section and then you're sitting in a seat? I know because you don't really need that fucking scooter. I don't think I I think if you I think if you are not having issues with your legs and you just can't walk because you're you've gotten that fat, then you have to live with the consequences. (laughs) Oh, that's so mean. I know I don't mean it completely, but I kind of do. 
that's the that's the dark shadow side of me that I'm just letting free loose out of the bag. So eventually she gets arrested. And of course the the charges are all dropped. She all of this is just it, it's just a waste of fucking time because you're a fat bitch. And <laughs> that 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 is a shame on society and we need to do more speaking out about these these parasites because they they gotta stop they need to be stopped now that i've gotten that out of my system let's talk about a man who just wanted to know what that flesh tastes like Issei Sagawa was born on April 26th of 1949 in Kobe, Hyogo Prefecture to wealthy parents. Sagawa's father, Akira Sagawa, was a businessman who had served as president of Kurita Water Industries. Sagawa was born prematurely and reportedly was small enough that he could fit in the palm of his father's hand, which is relevant considering something is clearly wrong with this person's brain. He immediately developed enteritis, a disease of the small intestine. Sagawa eventually recovered after several injections of potassium and calcium in saline. His frail, fragile health and introverted personality led him to developing a strong interest in literature. Sagawa's first experienced cannibalistic desires however came when he was just in first grade after seeing a male's thigh chicken wings in a 2011 interview with vice sagawa reported that as a youth he committed bestiality on his dog and experienced cannibalistic desires for women despite a male thigh being the first bit of titillation he got sagawa attended wako university and completed a master's degree in english literature at kwanzaa gaekwin university at the age of 24 while attending wako sagawa followed a tall german woman home broke into her apartment while she was sleeping and yes had cannibalistic intentions on mont uh, in mind he wanted to slice off a part of her buttocks and sneak away with a small part of her flesh but she awoke and according to sagawa thwarted his attack and pushed him to the ground get back motherfucker you don't know me like that get back motherfucker you don't know me like that geek, geek. Woo, woo. i ain't playing around make one boss move i take it down get Sagawa was captured by police and charged with attempted rape and did not confess his true attentions to the authorities. Sagawa's charges of attempted rape were dropped when his father paid a settlement to the victim because that's what happens when you have wealthy parents. Thanks to denial, I'm immortal. In 1977, at the age of 28, Sagawa moved to France to pursue a PhD in literature at the Sorbonne in Paris. He was said that while 
Uh, he was residing in Paris, quote, almost every night I would bring a prostitute home and then try to shoot them. But for some reason, my fingers froze up and I couldn't pull the trigger, end quote. He continues, quote, it's simply a fetish. For example, if a normal man fancied a girl, he'd naturally feel a desire to see her as often as possible, to be close to her, to smell her and kiss her, do all those romantic things, right? I'm embellishing on that part just a bit. To me, he continues, eating is just an extension of that. Frankly, I can't fathom why everyone doesn't feel this urge to eat to consume other people, end quote. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on us. I tell you why, motherfucker, because we ain't crazy like you. We have a desire to eat things that are edible. All right. Another person who's not on the menu is not edible. So for you to equate it as a normal thing, that you're normalizing it is the horrifying part. Because you're taking no responsibility and you're seeing nothing wrong in your actions. He blames the media's representation of Western women like Grace Kelly for sparking his cannibalistic fantasies, equating it with what most people call sexual desire. Yeah, it's a sexual desire for you. And it's one that is unhealthy. Pedophiles have sexual desires for children. It doesn't mean that they should act on those. That's a crime. That's why your shit's a crime. Sagawa would, instead of dream of beauty, beautiful women, would dream of eating them. He maintains, however, that he never thought of killing them, only, quote, gnawing on their flesh, end quote. Well, unfortunately, those things lead to death because we got infection, sepsis, whatever the fuck is in your teeth that the bacteria is there. And if you keep eating, well, eventually they're going to do this thing called bleed out. Issei Sagawa had moved to Paris to study, as I stated earlier. And that is when he met Rene Hartevelt, who was a Dutch student studying at the same university. Over time, Sagawa struck up a friendship with her, occasionally inviting her to his home for dinner. At some point, he gained her trust, which is unfortunate for her. He had attempted to kill her once unsuccessfully before actually murdering her. The first time the gun misfired when her back was turned, though most would take this as a sign to give up. It only pushed Sagawa further down his rabbit hole. Quote, it made me even more hysterical and I knew that I simply had to kill her. End quote. For most other people, they might have heard something that sounded like a bullet ricocheting off in close proximity to oneself and went, huh, this motherfucker got a crazy ass look on his face. I think I'm not going to come over the very next night to have dinner with him again. And that's exactly what she did. And that is the night that he killed her. This time the gun fired and Hartevelt was killed instantly. Sagawa only felt a moment of remorse before he became elated. Quote, I thought about calling an ambulance, but then I thought, hang on, don't be stupid. You've been dreaming about this for 32 years and now it's actually happening. 
And just to make a mockery of his only natural desire, after killing her, he raped her corpse, then began cutting her open. Quote, the first thing I did was cut into her buttock. No matter how deep I cut, all I saw was the fat beneath the skin. It looked like corn and it took a while to actually reach the red meat. Sagawa recalled. He continues, the moment I saw the meat, I tore a chunk off with my fingers and threw it into my mouth. It was truly a historical moment for me. Yeah, because you now became a murderer. You indulged in the thing you've been wanting to do. Involving the factors that you yourself claim aren't involved in it. And now you've accomplished your goal. Ultimately, he said his only regret was that he hadn't eaten her a lot. <sighs> Fuck me. He hadn't eaten her alive. Issei Sagawa awaited his trial for two years in a French prison. When it was finally time for him to be tried, French judge Jean-Louis Brigier, or Bourgier, declared him legally sane and unfit or legally insane and unfit to stand trial, dropping the charges and ordering him to be held indefinitely in a mental institution. <coughs> Bullshit. Now, I am not a lawyer, but I do know that to be declared legally insane, you have to have no premeditation, which we clearly see he had, uh, disordered, or logical thinking. He knew what he wanted. He'd been trying to accomplish this goal. And then he found the perfect person in which to enact his crime. And instead of calling the authorities, he made a conscious choice to say, nah, this is what you wanted. Get to work. And they declared him legally insane then they deported him back to japan where he was supposed to spend the rest of his days in a japanese mental hospital but of course because he's wealthy he didn't because the charges in france had been dropped the court documents were sealed and couldn't be released to japanese authorities therefore the japanese had no case against isei sagawa and no choice but to let him walk free this, this is not okay. And on August 12th of 1986, Issei Sagawa checked himself out of the Matsuwa Psychiatric Hospital in Tokyo. He has been free ever since and out there. And one of the reasons why I will not be coming to Tokyo because, quote, the desire to eat people becomes so intense around June when women start wearing less and showing more skin Apparently, that is the time he wants to, to hunt. Quote, continuing, just today I saw a girl with a really nice derriere on my way to the train station. When I see things like that, I think about wanting to eat someone again before I die. End quote. And that's the wrap up of that story. He's just out there. 
unlike that pedro guy that got out of prison and was never seen again we're pretty sure that he wasn't just murdered and dumped and no one else talked about it because that's more justice than the justice system has done but my guess he's probably in dubai finding ways to make his fantasies become true because that seems to be the place where all of the weird shit goes down yeah i heard about them damn porta potties i will never not unhear that and i wish i didn't know which leads us to another pretty wild story involving a man with a fetish who called himself the pig farmer or at least maybe that's just what the media dubbed him Robert William Willie Pickton was born in 1949. He was raised on a family-owned pig farm in Port Coquitlam, B.C. Robert and his younger brother, David Francis Pickton, began working at the farm at an early age, and their mother was very demanding, prioritizing the pigs over the brothers' personal hygiene and forcing them to work long hours raising the farm's livestock. She often sent them to school unwashed, dirty clothes, reeking of manure, and earning the brothers the nickname Stinky Piggy from their classmates. Get out of here, you meanie! It's bad when you're not giving some type of foundation early in life. And that makes what comes afterwards as much a part of the mother's responsibility as it does the actual killer because you did not raise him in a responsible mature and entitled way that he should have expected to be raised just coming into this world Picton was strongly attached to his mother and he had little interaction with his abusive father Picton struggled in school being put in special class after failing the second grade having an abusive father certainly does not help the situation don't fuck up your kids this is what simon whistler says all the time on his podcast the casual caramelist he dropped out of school in 1963 and began working as a meat cutter he he continued to do so for nearly seven years before leaving to work full-time at the farm in 1994 in 1995 picton and his two siblings inherited the family pig farm, selling parts of their inherited land and earning a total of around $5.16 million. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. And that wasn't back then money. Worker Bill Hickscox called the farm a, quote, creepy looking place patrolled by a 600 pound boar and described Picton as a, quote, pretty quiet guy, hard to strike up a conversation with, whose convert or whose occasional bizarre behavior, despite no evidence of substance abuse, would draw attention. In 1996, Picton and his brother started a registered charity. It was called the Piggy's Palace Good Time Society. And that totally doesn't sound like the name of a cult. So you will not be surprised to hear that they held parties here 
to help raise funds to groups in need. But these events included raves and the parties got pretty wild featuring Vancouver sex walkers and gatherings in a converted slaughterhouse on the farm at 953 Dominion Avenue in Port Coquitlam because for some reason this author thought we needed the address. These events attracted as many as 2,000 people and members of the Hells Angels were known to frequent the farm no matter how much the host apparently smelled. Subsequently, the Picton brothers ignored growing legal pressure and held a 1998 New Year's Eve party after which they were faced with an injunction banning future parties. The police were, quote, authorized to arrest and remove any person attending future events at the farm. The society's nonprofit status was removed the following year for inability to produce financial statements. <laughs> Which means doing fuck all this whole entire time but the thing in which you're supposed to be doing (laughs) it was subsequently disbanded of the 26 disappearances officially linked to the Picton one occurred in 1995 one in 1996 six in 1997 four in 1998 five in 1999 two in 2007 and 2001. Many missing women were not officially linked to Picton due to the lack of evidence. That does not mean that they were not probably at one of these parties. Over the years, the rate of disappearances increased. Rumors of a serial killer began to spread. Sex trade workers began walking the low track in groups. They would write down the license plate numbers of cars that picked women up. Once again, this was happening during that time. They were having some pretty crazy parties and a farm in the middle of the fucking boondocks set up as a charity where sex workers frequented. But the disappearances continued. The Vancouver police Refused to say that a serial killer was at work because God forbid they would have to do their job. There were no bodies, to be fair, and an investigation would have strained police resources, which is probably the more accurate answer. Many complained of police apathy. The Vancouver Sun accused the police of not pursuing crimes committed against sex trade workers. And that's very much a sad story and why they are the number one targeted for these type of serial killers and many other crimes because they don't the police don't give a fuck many of the missing women were also indigenous which is another consistent issue up to this time that's happening in canada with the indigenous population just women disappearing the picton case focused public attention on the wider issue of missing and murdered indigenous Indigenous women and girls. So a federal inquiry into the issue began in 2016. On March 22nd, 1997, a woman picked in had taken to his farm, fought back when he tried to handcuff her. Picked in was arrested and charged with attempted murder, assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement. 
but the charges were dropped. The woman was not seen as a good witness due to drug addiction. Are you fucking serious? Well, come on, girl. I'll show you the law. Do your job. Do your fucking job. Picton just claimed she was a hitchhiker who had attacked him and the police were like, sounds about right. All those bruises on you, handcuffs dangling off. Not going to go and search the property to confirm your story. You're just, you're just a crazy drug addict. In spring of 1999, an informant told the Vancouver police that a friend, Lynn Ellingson, had seen a woman's body hanging out at uh, Picton's farm. Ellingson was questioned by police and denied the story. Much later, she confessed that she had in fact seen the body. She did not report it because she feared Picton and depended on him for drugs. Early in 1999, Bill Hiscox informed the RCMP that a friend of Picton had told Hiscox that she had seen women's clothing, purses, and ID papers at the pig farm. It was the second time that Hiscox, who worked for the Pictons, had contacted the police. But they could not obtain a search warrant based on hearsay. They required an eyewitness report or physical evidence. I feel like if you got enough circumstance, circumstantial reports, that would be enough for a warrant to do at least a cursory search. On February 6th of 2002, police executed finally, <laughs> only years after more women were murdered, a search warrant for illegal firearms at the Picton property. Not for the things in which, you know, people were saying is going on there. But once the ATF start banging on your door, you better, <laughs> better fix that shit before they show up. Both Picton brothers were arrested and police obtained a second search warrant using what they had seen on the property to search the farm as part of the BC Missing Women investigation. Like I said, if they had just went and did a cursory one the first time, it would have probably, because clearly he ain't cleaning up after his messes. His mother did not teach him housekeeping, so... Personal items belonging to the missing women were found at the farm, which was sealed off by members of the joint RCMP, the, the task force that was assembled. The following day, Picton was charged with weapons offenses. Both of the Pictons were later released. However, Robert Picton was kept under police surveillance. On February 22nd of 2002, Robert Picton was arrested and charged with two counts of first degree murder in the deaths of Serena Abatsway and Mona Wilson. On April 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonald, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. A sixth charge for the murder of Andrea Josbury was laid on April 9th, followed shortly by a seventh for Brenda Wolf. On September 20th, four more charges were added for the slayings of Georgina Pappen, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark and Jennifer Ferminger. Another former charges for the murders of Heather Chinock, Tanya Holick, Sherry Irving, and Inga Hall were laid on October 3rd, bringing the total to 15. On May 26th, 
2005, 12 more charges were laid against Picton for the killings of Cara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lyon, Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah DeVry, Cynthia Felix, or Felix, Angela Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and Jane Doe, bringing the total number of first degree murder charges to 27. Excavations continued at the farm through November of 2003. The cost of the investigation is estimated to have been $70 million by the end of 2003. The property is currently fenced off under lien by the Crown and Right of British Columbia. In the meantime, all the buildings on the property, except a small barn, had been demolished. Forensic analysis proved difficult because the bodies may have been left to decompose or to be eaten by insects and pigs. On December 9th of 2007, he was found guilty by a jury on six counts of second degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. He was granted no chance of parole for 25 years. He has no chance of parole for 25 years. How about never? Ne 27 women. How do you possibly? There are men who have committed one murder and they're in prison for life without parole and they're 20, but they're also black. Picton claimed to have killed 49 women, but he was only charged with the murders of 26 who were identified with evidence found on the farm. Crown prosecutors thought they might try Picton on the other 20 charges, but they later decided not to because Picton's punishment was already the maximum possible because Canada doesn't believe in the death penalty. And I used to not believe in the death penalty. And man, have I swung back around on that motherfucker. Some people just need to die. It's not even about a moral question. It's simply... We don't need to be burdened anymore by society, by them. Point blank, period. And it's definitely not the ones that, you know, did one crime to, I'm talking about the real loathsome serial killer, child molester, all of those folks that we know factually and with their admittance, they, they committed the crimes. It's like, no, 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 no. If you shoot up a fucking mall, we're just going to execute you. It's clearly what you wanted anyway. So not only are we going to execute you, you were name maybe mentioned, but your face will always be blurred or never mention you by name. Like you're given a name that's not, I think that would help. Because if you can't be famous, and that's what some people go for, for the attention of this, then yeah, <laughs> I think they should die nameless. Die nameless, bitch, die nameless. While that wraps up our exploration into two fascinating people from history, I do like to end on a joke and I got a doozy. What's the difference between anal and oral sex? Oral sex makes your day. Anal makes your whole week. I I I'ma put cocaine in your ass. 
If you want to send feedback, blackercouch at gmail.com, or you can leave comments, questions, concerns down below. My social media will be there as well. Like, share, subscribe. Until the next time, peace, hair grease, and blacker magic. <laughs>